Alright, what are we out of? Uh, we need bread, milk, obviously. Um, yeah, I got that, yeah. You want some, you want some bananas? Froobs? I know you're always keen I, I on am those. big on froobs. Have we got any baby bell in the house? Oh, no. I think we're fresh out. Okay. Should we well, grab some of those? Yeah, let's get over there. Pop them in the trolley. Oh. oh. Andy, Andy, Andy. Don't, don't look, you know, be subtle, but look over there. Who, what? Who is that? Who? Oh. Do you remember him too? You know him, right? Oh, yeah. No, no, that's... Um, familiar, right? Oh my god, who is that? Yeah, it's been a while, but I'm pretty sure we both know them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? It's a really familiar face. Did we Did we go to university with them? God, we might have done. Sh should we go over and say oh, something? Oh no, because it's, it's awkward, awkward if we don't know who they are, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, get, they're looking over here. Just no, look, look away. Okay. Look away. Right. All these beans, yeah, sure are interesting. Yeah. Okay, who is it? Mm -hmm. I... Oh, Andy, you're going to kick yourself. I know who it is. I'll tell you exactly who that is. Who? Look, it's... The Hypotheticals Podcast. Andy. Adriano, hello. I've got a question for you. Allergies. They're not interesting enough. <laughs> what if everyone, every, every human, suddenly became allergic to being indoors? Oh, okay. Indoors. Mm -hmm. Any that's, any building. That's um. That's a lot of human existence right there. Right. Yeah. It's a problem. Wow, Forget um, about peanuts. Peanuts. They're, they're peanuts compared to being indoors. That's <laughs> <laughs> throw them out the window. Um. Okay. So when you say allergy, what kind of severity are we talking here? Is it like oh, you get a bit of a rash when you're inside? Or is That's... it like you get an anaphylactic shock and you have to go to a hospital, presumably? <laughs> you know, honestly, things don't go well. The, that's the level I was picturing, was just a kind of immediate... Like, you cross the threshold and you go from being vertical to being horizontal and twitching very quickly. But that might be a touch too restrictive. Uh, maybe more a kind of... I'm, I forget the name of the video game that I'm trying to reference, but it's one. It's a post-apocalyptic sort of post-nuclear war scenario. Oh, Fallout, yeah. It's not Fallout, although yeah. oh, okay. maybe it has the same mechanic. I don't know. Uh, it's some kind of weird horror survival game, and you spend most of your time in like a metro. Oh, it, it's system called Metro. In metro. It's called me something. It's called Metro. Yeah, there it is. I just title dropped it. It's called <laughs> Metro 2033 or something. Bravo. Thank you. Yeah. So for those who haven't played the game, you mostly hang out in the metro system in Russia, St. Petersburg, or so. Anyway, you're you're in these tunnels because the surface world has just been blasted to smithereens and is now super radioactive. Not to mention riddled with monsters. So mm -hmm. forget about the monsters in, indoors, unless we're going to want to go super wild. Uh, but allergy-wise, so every time you step outdoors, outside of the metro system, you've got like a Geiger counter in the background. You can hear it clicking away, and you just become like progressively more unwell. So it's a it's a kind of degree of exposure type thing. Precisely, you 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 can feel it. You, you're short of breath. You know you yeah. only have a certain amount of time. Like almost like diving. I know this isn't really like an allergy, but I'm imagining it. Yeah, like diving. So you have to kind of hold your breath whenever you go mm. indoors, and it's like there's a lack of oxygen inside. It, oh, it just smells really bad. I don't know. <laughs> Everywhere, <laughs> we discovered all our building materials were terrible. They <laughs> decomposed in an awful, awful way. Wow. The odor cannot be born. It's so bad that you go into anaphylactic shock. Yeah, eventually. Maybe like, you know, at the 20 minute mark or something. That would have a simple solution because you just plug your nose and then it's fine. It, it's all Shoot. fixed. 
So yeah, you just plug your okay. nose and everything's okay. But if it's like a lack of oxygen thing, that's going to pose more problems. So yeah, maybe people have to wear oxygen masks and they're the only people that can go in. Yeah, I think the oxygen mechanism is really weird though, because at that point... I mean, opening the door, <laughs> pop that seal, and if there still isn't enough airflow for some reason, you just start bashing holes in the breaking windows. So how about, say, um, it's an issue with something that accumulates only in indoor spaces, like dust. Okay. We, we all just become hyper-allergic to dust. So being outdoors, you're fine. Soil doesn't count. But indoors, you cannot hang about. Mm-hmm. So is it a matter of airflow? Is that what we're talking here? So, like, if you're indoors, but, like you're in, like, an open-plan office and it's all windows which are open. Are you okay? Like, enough of a breeze. I guess maybe the, if it is a dust issue, then the most sort of sterile and clean of environments, maybe you could... It would just increase the overhead and maintenance to, to make a building livable. You you couldn't be a slob anymore or it would kill you quite quickly. <laughs> There'd be a lot of jobs for cleaners. They'd be, like... That's, that's, certainly that's the most dangerous job of them all. Those clouds of dust which come up when you... No one would do that thing when they go into a new house where they run their finger along the top. Because then they look at their finger and see the grey and they'd be like, <laughs> oh no, and then they kill over. <laughs> they just start throwing up immediately. <laughs> they pass out. Yeah, they absolutely would not. I mean, and cleaners would become like the people who go down in the mine first to blow up the pockets of fire yeah. damp or whatever. I don't know if we employ those anymore, but once upon a time, they go in after the canaries. <laughs> yeah, it would be a grim task trying to keep the world livable for everyone else. But I, I don't know. I like the idea that it just becomes completely inaccessible. Like, no amount of cleaning, no amount of, of clever architecture and open windows and airy spaces can save you. You're just not allowed indoors, except for very brief periods. Mm. Although I do quite like the idea of, like, an open plan office where it, there are basically no walls at all. It's just kind of, like, rain and, and wind just kind of pummel you. You're at your desk working on your, on your report and a pigeon comes in. What kind of office do you work in? <laughs> Well, but when you say open plan office, do you mean a I mean, field? Like, there's a limited amount of rain. I in mean, my open office. plan in that there's there's no roof, right? <laughs> so yeah, I guess a field it's just a, is like what a, I'm describing. Basically, a field with walls around it. I think you would have to start putting some limitations on what counts as indoors, I yeah. guess, because. But but yeah, you just got like a pigeon comes and, and poos on your desk. You can't you can't have a meeting because there's a wasp's nest in the projector. <laughs> <laughs> In the you're trying to show slides and just buzz, yeah. all these shadows. Every time there. it rains, umbrellas go up. It's great. Yeah, yeah. But you you don't want too much of a of a ceiling to form of those umbrellas, else you'll be too contained <laughs> uh, and we'll start to feel queasy. But I had the pigeon experience very recently, actually. What, in an office? Um, no, this was in a theatre. My girlfriend and I went to Shakespeare's Globe uh, in London and we saw a classic Shakespeare done in the classic style where there is no freaking roof. And we had standing seats, standing tickets. It's a, a little bit disingenuously named. It is not like a globe, <laughs> but for those who haven't been, it is, it's, a, it's like a sort of an upright the cylinder. The actors don't perform in a, a sphere of water in the middle, <laughs> and you're all around it, kind of looking in. They're each within their own spheres. It's a absorbing <laughs> theatre. It's a reinvention of Shakespeare for the 21st century. They're all in There's to ushers ball. that push anyway. the audience around there in their own zorbs. It's part of the experience, yeah. <laughs> you just hope that you're upright and in, facing in the direction of the stage. Just the like in Shakespeare's no. day. <laughs> exactly. Like people would heckle, they'd throw peanuts, they'd roll around in their hamster balls. 
man. Actors were real, <laughs> real craftsmen in those days to maintain people's attention. No, but you do have a... a <laughs> so all the seats are sort of around the edges, Colosseum style, and then in the middle you just have this courtyard with a sort of a thrust stage. So there's people literally leaning on the side of the stage uh, right by the actor's feet. And this pigeon just drifted in during a key scene where the mad king is putting his wife on trial and trying to get her committed to death and she's giving these heartfelt monologues about how awful her life is and this pigeon just descends regally down from the heavens just sits pops itself down on the stage that starts sort of head bobbing a little bit strutting up and down it. yeah all these audiences gazes just turned <laughs> riveted towards it it looked a little bit self-conscious and then, then it started doing a soliloquy it was great yeah, it was it was really good. Took a bow. Axiom pursued by a pigeon. Exactly, very good. A timely reference. It, it perched on a on a window. Uh, sorry, a roof beam for a little while, directly above an actor, and he he gave a few nervous glances upwards, um, as if fearing uh, what might befall. But uh, yeah, eventually it just it departed us, and uh, the rest of the play was much less interesting. But yeah, pigeons in the office would be a big improvement mm. from a run. The think. Globe would be the only theatre to survive, presumably, or well. Every other thing yes. would be a, a massacre if this kind of takes hold suddenly. <laughs> <laughs> the, the patrons who were truly committed to the arts would just be dying in droves in their seats. You wouldn't survive an opera. No one can hold their <laughs> breath that long. You just wouldn't. But anyone who was still able to sing opera in an indoors environment, truly that's impressive lung capacity. Well, each you'd have to have like one singer for each note because they only get one breath. <laughs> <laughs> so they're just they're doing it in shifts. It's like a yeah. relay. They just like they dive it, they they leap onto the stage, do their one vibrato, and then they just sail Jump out, out again a window. Else comes in. Yeah. To be restocked. There's a guy out there with bellows just applying them to the mouth. <laughs> Quick, gotta pump them up ready to you know, there's not that many world class opera singers. It's not like two hundred. So Yeah. So the arts would take a turn. Hmm. Uh returning to our um usual topic of transport. Of course. Everything would have to be open top, surely. Yeah, you can't, fl- like, you can't fly anywhere unless it's you're in like yeah. one of those old biplanes or yes, something like with that. Yeah, a propeller on the front. Yeah, or one of those what are they called the ones which are kind of like a plane but made of canvas and stuff. Um, a canvas. A whirly plane? gig. No, what's it called? A gyro. No, not a gyrocopter. A dirigible. A, a microlite is what I was thinking of. Is that a real thing? Yeah, it's like um, it's sort of like a plane for people who can't afford a plane. It, it doesn't look entirely safe. Does it actually fly? Yeah, yeah. People... Does it glide or is it motorised? It's motorised. Okay. Well, yeah. what's wrong with that? No, it's... Could you, it could you take it across good. the Pacific? Um, probably not. I don't okay. think it's designed for quite that distance. But yeah. Okay, so ironically, we would be kind of contained by this indoors allergy because we would, we would no longer be able to manage international travel quite so easily. Although ships are fine, provided they're not like the lazy ships of the modern day where you hide in your cabin. Yeah, you, no, you no. can never go Up below deck. deck. No, there is no below deck. There's no point. It's the the the, the ship is just a bathtub mm. <laughs> with with tiered seats. That's all it is. You can't put a roof on that. You don't want to. You're in there in the hold. You're clutching barrels of tobacco. I don't know what's in ships. <laughs> but there's no hold. It's just it's just ship. You know that's what I'm saying. Well, all the passengers and the cargo and the supplies and everything else all contained within the same space. <laughs> the the, the, the engine. piston is right there next to you. Yeah, exactly. You just everything's intermingled. They haven't even bothered segregating it. It's you know first come first serve. The good seats are further away from the engine. The bad seats you have to operate the engine <laughs> in case <laughs> of emergency. 
<laughs> yeah, if they if for whatever reason you run out of fuel or something, you're required. It's in it's in the you know it's printed on the ticket. You just have to kind of stick your feet out the back and paddle. <laughs> Gotta help. Although yeah, on a nautical theme, no more submarines. They're a, they're a linchpin of of travel in the modern day. Oh yeah, I, I'm in one every morning. <laughs> That's true. No more submarines down the Thames. Uh, no, <laughs> that would be super fun actually. I mean, they built this whole network of, oh yeah, the tube is right out, obviously. But I mean, metros, well, it goes under the river. Why not in the river? I want a tube at the base of the Thames. They've got ferries up on top. They're not fast enough. Yeah, like, um, I want to be like those tunnels in aquariums, but there's a train going through there. Bingo. And just with no life whatsoever. Like, <laughs> no, it's all, it's all I don't believe the Thames <laughs> supports anything. Yeah, exactly. It's just random detritus, dead mobsters. <laughs> but, uh, you know. But that same crushing feeling of weight, of being buried in the bowels of the earth, just somewhere where no man should be, that's that's your route to It might earth. be nice, that's though, because it wouldn't be as hot. It would literally be like that's its own true. cooling system. The tube is oh. on a hot day with when the air conditioning's broken, which is all the time. It's like a, a furnace. Don't even. I was on there not two hours ago, and yeah, this heat wave is, is killer, so... Yeah, please, whoever's in charge of this sort of thing, can construct me a tube of water. And I imagine that would be very cheap. Very cheap. So so they should go ahead with that ASAP. Yeah, yeah, I don't see a problem. I you, I feel like you just need... Um, uh, they use it for, like, event days, I guess. You know the kind of... A- Mon- money. Money? <laughs> money. <laughs> you use it for the, to buy goods and services. No, I'm talking about the type of tubing. Um, kids... Kids use it, you know, uh, you know, in the kind of... Kids use it. <laughs> Kids use it. <laughs> you know, in a Chuck E. Cheese, or why is that my first thought? Is there a British equivalent? I don't oh, know. those things we have in the UK? Yeah, right. No. Those fun <laughs> centres you can take a kid to, and there's a ball pit, and there's a big sponge pit you can jive into, and then there's, like, upright foam <laughs> cylinders. Did you just say jive into? Because I that's a <laughs> great image. Yeah, they were just dancing into this foam pit. Um, yeah, and there's, you know, there's there's tubes to crawl through, like in a funhouse type scenario. Yeah, are they right? designed for for um, the pressure of underneath the tent? It's not that deep. I'm just saying get a bigger one of those. You can probably buy greenhouses that shape or something. Like, this stuff is commercially available. <laughs> get it, at, you know, not at retail prices, obviously. Go wholesale. It'll be that much just cheaper. One, just one of those polytunnels you grow strawberries. Precisely. That's exactly what I'm talking about. And you just, you arrange it on the surface, because it floats or whatever, stick a load of rocks in, just sink it right down. That would work really well. I know trains, when they hit the rocks, they'd love that. <laughs> oh, yeah, the trains. I, I guess in my mind now, it's just a tube you can kind of vaguely slide down. But I guess I, the gradient of the Thames bed might not be that great, so you would have to lubricate it frequently. Yeah. Slip and slide yeah. style. The rocks, again, would present an issue. But, um, you know, stop people sleeping on their way to work. What, the constant threat of drowning? And and of, of being struck by rocks in the nads as you're sliding down this <laughs> Thames tube to to where I don't know the ocean I don't know where your office would be I guess I don't know how you'd get <laughs> off ocean. okay look in conclusion there might be some problems but I'm not an engineer someone cleverer than I can can figure this out you haven't answered the question anyway what would become of society if we all became allergic to the indoors no um, no more theatre no more uh, international plane travel no. but what else to, just to, just to the last point on uh, travel um, open top cars suddenly cool and uh, not a symbol of a midlife crisis which I'm sure lots of men would appreciate <laughs> are they exclusively a sign of a midlife crisis I guess they might be I mean I always assume they are and it's usually men that drive them so that is a 
point. I wonder what that says about society. I wonder, you know what's interesting is that in hotter countries, I don't notice a lot of convertibles about. And I feel like that's the venue. Or you know what it is in hotter countries, people don't want the sunburn, probably. Yeah, and also all the flies. And That's the point. They certainly, they occupy a weird niche, don't they? Because over here... You know, in, in old Blighty, you buy a convertible. To be fair, this year heat waves are plenty, but on an average year, how many weeks of use are you realistically getting out of that soft roof? Mm. And then you, you know? put that soft top up, and it's it doesn't really keep the rain out. Does it not? Well, I think if it's heavy rain, then it starts coming through. Oh, Porsche show then. That's terrible. It's pronounced I'd... Porsche, actually. <laughs> That's it. That's the end of the show. Go home, everybody. We can't top that. <laughs> Outstanding. <sighs> oh, that's good. Actually, um, I many years ago, I learned a fact that fascinated me. I'm, I'm not a car guy, so possibly everyone knows this. Um, did you know a car typically has four wheels? But also, <laughs> uh, I was fascinated to learn that cars are designed with the idea in mind that they might one day invert. Sorry, what? That it's not an ideal scenario, but that it is possible in the same way that they build crumple zones into your car so that when you hit something, your car smashes up more than it yeah. normally would. Yeah. And, and you don't. And that's very clever. And in similar clever fashion, they've been like, okay, in the suboptimal scenario where you are upside down, the car's rolled, you're on the roof, and they build it with, with specific sort of vectors of strength and rigidity such that those, you know, metal bits that run between the windows and such are able to support the weight of the car without it crumpling and smashing its occupants. Yeah, and even um, make it easier to roll back onto its wheels. That kind of thing. Incredible. Their they're you know, intelligence knows no bounds. I don't know how these people do it. Because they even approached the problem of soft-top cars um, and instead of throwing down their, their pencils <laughs> in you know despair, we're like, this problem is not insoluble. In fact, the solution is going to be targeted explosives. In, in similar fashion to airbags, which must be deployed very quickly, so quickly that they frequently injure the people who they subsequently save, um, I gather that there are special metal rods built into the, the casing, the shell, the, the whatever, uh, where, you know, where those metal rods that hold the windows in place would be, um, and then once the car detects that, like, a, a surfeit of wheels has left... <laughs> I, th I think it has a threshold. Once it detects a certain number of wheels have left the ground, so that this doesn't happen whenever you go over a speed bump or catch a little bit of air from a pothole or something, yeah. when a certain number of wheels has departed to the surface of the earth, um, it just, boom, shoots wow. them out, so that then when you land on the roof, it's not your neck that huh. takes the brunt of gravity. And I, I think that's, that's pretty cool. Clever. I'm just imagining, um, you know those Grom not Grand Prix, uh, rally videos where the cars go over the, the hills and literally uh, leave the ground. Oh, yeah, they just yeah. go over yeah. a leap and the roof <laughs> flies off. <laughs> just fireworks, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they forgot. They forgot that feature it's was the there. perfect rally car except for that feature. <laughs> he just he's how much more dramatic he's just though? really paranoid he has to always stay on the ground so he sees that there's a, a bump coming up he slows right down and just kind of crawls over yeah just a gentle crawl all his comrades have just taken off because it happened to him one time and now he's scared that that's what we need in this uh, apocalypse scenario and i am picturing apocalypse because in the same way that in a zombie apocalypse you need to you know you're in your, your stronghold your bastion your your little community that you've managed to gate off and defend, but your all your food and your medical supplies, they're, they're trapped in the hospital down the road and the supermarket over, you know, and you, you need to make forays out in the zombie yeah, wastes yeah. to reach those safe indoor places. But this is inverted. 
So the indoors is dangerous and you can't stay in there too long. Instead of diving for pearls, you're diving for canned <laughs> goods. So it is an apocalypse. And what you really need as you start to overcome and rebuild and adapt is uh, buildings that can fire their roofs off at a moment's notice. <laughs> or, or perhaps retract them stadium style to sort of just on like a, a 15 minute interval or something. Like you get a bit so, of relief from oh, the rain. Oh, I see. So I was thinking this is something you're like, we should do this now just in case this happens. We need to start building buildings. <laughs> we're just going to jet their ready. just in case because it's coming, folks. Yeah, the minute they detect that the plague has struck <laughs> and people are just coughing out their lungs because of whatever bizarre fungus is infesting everything, yeah, the roof's just... <laughs> <laughs> if, you're in, if you're on a flight or something, you just see all these, like... <laughs> This ripple of roofs firing into the air. Yes, a, a, an instant before your plane just disintegrates for your safety. <laughs> <laughs> for your safety and comfort. <laughs> we have opened all the emergency exits. Um, <laughs> parachutes are under your seats. Good luck. I, when you say disintegrate, I just imagine like nanobots. Like as you're sitting there, just they start dissolving yeah. everything. And, and then you're, you're just kind of still all sat there. Mm-hmm. Heading the same way. In yeah, the seat. momentum would, would keep you going for a little while. Wiley, like Wiley Coyote when he's just run off a cliff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The minute you just be confused and then you make the mistake of looking down and... Yeah. But maybe if you calculate it right, you, you, um, they send up one of those roofs to meet you and you just sort <laughs> of <laughs> land on that and it takes My you down. God, imagine the precision engineering that would be necessary to fire a roof into the air at just <laughs> the right speed such that it crests that arc just as someone lands on it at tremendous speed from a plane and somehow the forces get, the forces would not cancel out. I don't think there's any point on well, those two parabolas <laughs> where they could meet and not just t- I guess, annihilate yeah, each to, other. You'd need to fire the roof at quite an angle. Because there's those <laughs> there's the videos of people in wingsuits who are like flying along mm. and then fly into a plane. Oh, and land. God, really? Yeah, and they just match the speed perfectly, and they just kind of plop down, and they're like, "Oh, that was that was easy," and that must be terrifying. That's because so you're literally cool. you're flying so close to a propeller. <laughs> oh wow, yeah, the rush. Yeah. Listen, there's a bit of a problem in transferring that directly to this scenario, uh, which is a shame because that's awesome. But the thing is, a plane is going sideways, and it can functionally go sideways forever because the earth is round yeah uh and mm-hmm. a wingsuit is going sideways so that's fine they just match up those speeds it's like jumping onto a moving train but the person falling is going down mm-hmm. so you can match speeds and have a roof going down such that they can land on it but they're still going down very fast <laughs> oh what you mean when they land yeah like <laughs> i don't know how much you're helping them they look that much cooler the way they just step onto a roof uh, basically surfing air. a roof down but the end result is the same i think so so possibly not worth it if it happened by you know by happy accident during this um end of the world scenario then all the better it makes the disaster movie uh retrospective documentary that much cooler but i don't know how helpful it is i tell you what would be helpful is building parachutes into plane seats directly although that that would i don't know if they oh no there's life jackets under your seat there's not parachutes so yeah if your plane just <laughs> no. disintegrates you're in trouble aren't you yeah. You can put the life jacket on, inflate it. Um, I don't know how much that would help. It would slow you. Um, <laughs> I don't know if it would slow you at all. I don't think it would. I think by cartoon logic, where every gas is helium, um, you could yeah. probably float away just because of having inflated it. But And that's why I always carry a stock of helium with me whenever I go on a plane. So I can inflate my uh, life jacket with helium and it float down. 
but but seriously, folks, don't use helium. It's uh, it's running out. So oh yeah, that's pop. a real thing, right? Because it just escapes the atmosphere, drifts away into space. Yeah, we get it from mines, which I've always found quite fun. <laughs> You're not serious? Are there helium mines? Yeah, because otherwise it just floats away. So you have to like mine into the earth where there's like pockets of helium and extract it from there. No way! I assumed it was engineered. Like, no, no, because you from something. You, the only way you can make it is fusion, which obviously we are not great at yet. So good point. So yeah. you can't break anything down into helium. It doesn't. It's a noble gas, I guess. It doesn't react. Yeah, it's, a, it's an anything. element. So and yeah, it doesn't react. Oh, how useless! All this time, I thought they were engineering it from hydrogen somehow, and then I'm like, oh no, wait, that's what the sun does. We we haven't yet attained godhood. Yeah. So so everyone's like just like breathing helium, going, oh, this is hilarious. But um, yeah, they use it for like MRIs, and we're running out. Well, why don't they raise the price at the consumer level? Think, that seems I think dumb. There's, there's a, I think there's articles around there about big helium is. <laughs> I don't really oh understand how it works. God. Yeah. Monstrous. Okay, awesome. Well, I'll never look at balloons the same way. Well, exactly. Yet another thing you've ruined, Andy. <laughs> I'm sorry. So, Adriano, I've got a question for you. What would happen if our memories reset every six months. Ah, wonderful. All all memories? Like, just wipe clean? Well, this is the question. Um, I don't know. What do you think? Uh, hmm. I, I guess this it, gets... it, you'd lose all your skills at everything. You, everyone would just be children, <laughs> like, oh. a month old at that stage. Yeah. I want to drill into this. Okay, but uh, first of all, I'd just like to take a moment to, to note that a lot of our uh, queries recently have been taking a distinctly apocalyptic turn. Yeah, I do. Because I think <laughs> there's no way society survives this. Like, this is the death of society, of the individual, arguably. No, I um, think society... Could, if it was that, that, like... Let's say you have a grace period. So up to the age of 16, you are, you're, you're learning as normal, and that's all fine. Um, oh, no way. Like, super early onset dementia of a particularly weird yeah kind. but then at 16 at 16 you have your first reset and it's a big occasion all oh your family God. are like celebrating like a bar mitzvah yeah they, but they you're, just, you you're just baffled by these who are these people and where are you <laughs> and what's going on so oh they have say, the ceremony afterwards yeah yeah it exactly. happens during perhaps you, <laughs> yeah. just, you pass out for a moment there's a countdown um <laughs> And you have to stuff grapes in your mouth for every second. How many How many existing traditions can be woven into this? You need to step on a glass, you throw a bouquet, they hoist you up in a chair, you your mouth plate. is crammed full of grapes. Yeah, and then a guy in a Santa outfit tells you who you are after you wake up. And you pull a turkey bone apart. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Make a wish, but yeah, I guess, So I guess up until the age of 16, you have your memories, or maybe just the skills rather than the, the physical memories. Oh, not even memory. Okay. So you'd forget childhood memories, but you'd still walk and talk. Yeah, you'd function as a person. Okay. Now, this, first of all, would lend a whole new terror to adolescence. Yes. Because all that angst, all that, you know, like, what kind of person am I going to become? There's all these expectations. I don't even know what makes me happy. Now I've got to deal with hormones and puberty. And now it's like, I mean, you can make a serious case for this being uh, a type of death. The same way, you know the philosophical argument where when you step through a teleporter and arrive on Mars, you die because the you that comes out the other end is constitutes different molecules and whatnot, right? Yeah, and I guess in a sense you could view it like that. <laughs> I mean, 
in a very real sense, like your bodily molecules would be there. Possibly a chemical rearrangement of the synapses, I guess, would be necessary to clear these memories. I don't know how the brains work. Mm. But um, in a very real sense, your personality surely would just would be thrown out with the bathwater because we are, I assume, largely defined by our memories. Yeah. So I guess the concept of the individual, as you said, is immediately eroded and sort of yeah. society transforms into this weird hyper short i don't know it would, god awful mess would it stay the same but everyone just like views it as they live six months or is it oh. do they see themselves in the future as themselves in the present there's so much to unpack here so for starters the idea of your family and loved ones being clustered around you throwing you a memory loss party <laughs> yeah implies that your parents and whatnot have managed to remember who you are <laughs> long enough to raise you to the age of 16, right? <laughs> Which is no mean feat. Do you, do our children become our minders? Oh, that's true. You wake yeah. up and you're like, bah, duh, who are you? And it's like, dad, come on. They would be the, yeah, up to the age of 16, they're the only people who have any continuity in their lives. So you rely on them to tell you what's happening. That's terrifying. Yeah. That is Cause, cause so Because otherwise scary. you could so easily prank people. You could be like, John's reset day is coming up. Let's make him believe that these random strangers are his family. But you'd so do that. You'd all show up to his house. You'd you'd have to persuade his actual family to like leave, and then you'd be like, "Hey, John, yeah, we're your eight dads." Yeah, exactly. But then if the prank goes on too long and you will reset, then you actually become his family. Oh, how long can you sustain it? What if what if you you know you're what if it's not on a on a set like six months is one thing. If it's nice and regular, you put it on your calendar. Um, Oh, it goes down so many different paths. If it's a regular thing, then it's a question of, is it society-wide? Because then it's like annual reset day and society just shuts down for a couple of days Ooh. while everyone figures out who they are I think again. if it did that, or, society would just, just crumble because there's no way to recover from that. Well, but arguably... Okay, it's tough. It's very tough. Hospitals and things. Um, but on the flip side, that is at least more predictable. So although it's like, it's a scourge. But, oh, okay. Because uh, I was thinking like, predictable. it's predictable, but it's it's a different day for every person. Just a, just a, okay, that is a depending on when you were born, that kind of thing. So like a, a, your star sign determines. Well, if it, if it say it starts on your the minute you were born on your sixth right, birthday. and it, it just ticks down. Yeah, that's fair. But um, there exists another scenario where it's unpredictable, just like a, a, an average of six months, but you know, it could be four, could be eight, um, and that's terrifying because yeah, you'd be like you're three months in, and you're like, all right, you know, I, I think I've kind of figured out who I used to be. I may even have made some improvements. Yeah. I can drive now. <laughs> I, I, I took condensed <laughs> classes and I'm, I'm back. Um, and then, yeah, that's it. You're just gone. You weren't even, you know, you're on your way to the gym and now you're just like... <laughs> what happens if you reset in the car? You'd have to be really careful. Right, terrifying. <laughs> Suddenly you don't know how to drive or what a car is. Well, no, you would because you're you're you grew up to sixteen. That's the thing. Say. If you retain your skills, then those first 16, sixteen years become absolutely critical. Yeah, you need to cram in as much stuff. Yeah, yeah. And, and you have to learn. You have to you have to have the skills of making copious notes. I think to try and preserve your memories, like who you are, mm. and being able to assimilate information really quickly. Because on your like reset day, you're just going to be reading reams like the older you get the bigger your library of personal experience becomes you have to trek through your own memoirs but also the ability to not freak out upon waking up from what is functionally like a type of narcolepsy or something you know you wake up they do like like, uh they do training experiences where they like give you a drug which like 
knocks out your memory temporarily. Yeah. And you're like, oh, who am I? And they're like, haha, this will prepare you. <laughs> exactly. Simulations. <laughs> they, they, you wake up in like various different scenarios, different levels of severity and threat, and they just gradually train you to accept any wake-up scenario with calm. <laughs> yeah, you wake up in a plane which is dissolving around you. <laughs> and you're the pilot. <laughs> yeah. But it's okay, you have a notebook. It explains what to do. <laughs> Those notes become super valuable. Everyone has to maintain their, this, this library of who they are. And if anyone, if anything happens, if there's a fire, someone steals them. You could steal someone's life if you knew yeah, their you reset could. day. You could prank them or you could steal their life. Well, I was thinking, like, if you wanted a promotion at work and you, let's say it's predictable, you just wait until your boss's memory resets and you tell her that you're her boss. And like, that's it. You just take her notes so she doesn't realise and maybe swap them with your notes. Yeah, because she just... doesn't know what to expect. As long as you're quick, yeah. you change the plaque on the door and whatnot. Mm. You know, the problem is you need other people in on it with you if everyone has separate reset days. If everyone has the same reset day, it's kind of a free-for-all. It's like the purge. It's like how well prepared <laughs> are you? Can you fight it? It would. It would turn into a fight. I guess it would be like, how quickly do you go from zero through like gullible in innocence to right let's get cracking i want stuff yeah because imagine if your sheaf of notes is not like hello Stephen. um this is Stephen from the past uh you are you're 45 uh you have a boring job <laughs> you hate your wife and so on you i know... thought you'd just been possessed by a ghost <laughs> <laughs> what a ghost that thought you were called Stephen? no i thought you were saying this is Stephen from the past <laughs> oh, i see oh, what's what's happening at the other end sorry to line? scare you andy um, but that's the, the standard scenario, right? Is you wake up and it's just kind of like your, your profile, like a dating profile. You have to just kind of assimilate it and be like, okay, yeah, I guess I do like long walks on the beach. I'll remember that. I guess social media is really useful in this scenario. Yeah. You leave yourself videos you. and you have this catalogue of, of what's gone on in your life and pictures of people. That would be super valuable. And the better a chronicler you are, but also the better an embellisher you are, because people embellish their lives on Instagram and Facebook and whatnot. And the more you can sell it to yourself that you are great, the more confident you're going to feel reading that life. You're going to be a better person. You know? That's true. Because it's possible that, you know, your your marriage is going terribly. I mean, who's who's wouldn't, right? <laughs> with this many <laughs> this this thing to deal with every six months you forget who your wife and kids are, says who is the stranger in your bed. But, you know, you, you get to the end of six months and you're like, oh my god. God, that was an ordeal. I hate everything. I hate myself. I hate these people. Oh, I guess I better write it down for tomorrow, me, and just go through this whole thing again. And then tomorrow, you is just reading this diary entry, and it's like, wow, past me sucked. Uh, I choose not to be Stephen. I am now Brad, and I am amazing. You know, like there's no need to keep the hang-ups of the past. Mm. And yeah, and you, you could, could lie get to your promotion. future self easily, and you could just be like, if you like. Uh, really hated your your current family, but you didn't want to deal with any of it. You just be like, uh, these people have kidnapped you. You need to run away now. Oh yeah. <laughs> and then you just go. The walkout scenario becomes that much easier because now you don't have to deal with the guilt, right? Like, there are there are people who yeah. somehow manage to just like he he left for work one day and then we never saw him again. Um, mm -hmm. And now you would never have to deal with the memory. You just trick your future <laughs> self. Yeah, perfect. God, that's, that's grim, isn't it? It's super grim. And but also the real key. You could persuade yourself easily, but can you persuade other people? Because what you're describing in the office scenario where you want the promotion is a kind of mutiny. You need to persuade everyone else you'd be a better captain. And the only thing standing in your way is the existing protocol. So the reset just provides an easier way than killing your CEO. I'm thinking there'll be like so many coups in like, like in politics um, mm. that like power begins to rotate extremely quickly between political figures, but not with parties because 
whenever anyone's like a leader's memory resets, everyone just capitalizes on it to get to the top. Yeah. And, and like it's hard to be, you know, an influential figure who like captures the imagination of a nation if your memory resets every six months and you're just like, how do I eat pasta? <laughs> you're saying it on live TV, they're pressing microphones into your face, like Mr. President, Mr. President is like, I don't understand. Some of them are long and floppy, some of them are twisty. They handed me this metal thing. I don't get it. But actually, it... Are, are you my family? No, I'm a journalist. <laughs> Is this, is it normally this loud? I don't understand. No. Are you are you my family, Pasta? <laughs> Just staring forlornly into the bowl. <laughs> no. Um the thing is, it would come down to sheer force of personality at that point. Because your average politician these days is a is a trained your average anything up to a point, but some some professions and life paths really they value that kind of insincerity, that very structured, manufactured personality. Right. Politicians, one of them, I guess, a career salesperson. There's a few. Um, and if you reset every six months, it, it you w- I feel like you wouldn't be able to assimilate all of the artificially contrived knowledge that you need to strategically make the right move in every conversation. So your yeah. natural charisma would just be what shone through. And maybe that's it. We'd finally get uh, a, like a you know, a generation of more honest leaders because they've got all these people buzzing around them, aides and speechwriters and whatnot, trying to convince them. And they're like, listen, I don't remember any of you. I don't remember signing any of these <laughs> things. I don't remember wanting to be like, it's just, it's whatever. I guess I'm the leader now. It's like a, a TV show where the, the, the 15 year old is now king for whatever reason. And he's just like, well, I still want a skateboard. That would be the president <laughs> now. I guess, yeah, does everyone, when they revert, revert back to their 16-year-old self? I don't see why you wouldn't. I don't see why you'd keep your maturity. Yeah, it's just like eating ice cream for breakfast and stuff. Yeah, you could lose your virginity every six months, hypothetically, <laughs> right? That would probably be part of the training program, like, to become an adult. <laughs> like, listen, kid, I know you're 14, you're kind of not emotionally ready for this, but you're going to thank us later life. There's a lot of things that you'd want to kind of cram in early, in early, early adolescence. Oh god, I just imagined if you reset while you're pregnant. <laughs> like, let's Ooh. say you're living you're living quite a secluded life and a kid just comes out of you <laughs> three months later. Yeah. And you're like and like if you if you lost your notes and like that included who the father was, you're just like who oh, no. are you the father of this baby? But they've reset <laughs> so no one knows. That's so scary. Yeah, so much would be lost. It's really grim, actually, if you stop and think about it. I want the scenario to be funny, but there's a lot of tragedies that would unfold. Yeah, there, there is. Unless, literally, social media just takes over, which in itself is a scary thought. Yeah, but it would kind of be necessary, wouldn't it? Mm. It really would. You, you would need... You would you would keep your memory in other people and in other repositories. The internet... Uh, I guess I keep talking about notebooks, but the internet makes a lot more sense, except for the fact that having your like iCloud hacked or your Facebook account is yeah. disastrous. Yeah. Really. I mean, and you could, ah, if you could erase records of things as well, like things like Wikipedia become extremely dangerous some suddenly. And also anything where, like, accomplishments tend to be quite well documented, like Olympic medalists, uh, you know, winners of prizes, CEOs of corporations. It's not necessarily easy to just kind of pick your time carefully when all the key figures are reset at a similar time. Maybe people would sync up, menstruation style, I don't know. Um, maybe if you if you were very careful and a good con man, you could just convince a key group of people 
that you are way more accomplished than you actually are. Well, yeah, yeah. I'm thinking, like, with the political leader, they, they'd have a benefit to being like, I'm not actually affected by this memory thing. Like, yeah. it doesn't affect me as much, so I... And they just blag it. Yeah. Or, yeah, if a person emerged in this society who kept their memory. Right, because maybe it's not universal. Maybe it's, like, there are gradients. Maybe it's not 16 yeah. years for everyone. Maybe some people only make it as far as six, other people get to 25. And you'd have this whole, like, elitism of, of the leader, like, class which would be created from these people who could just remember more yeah i'm picturing the, this incredibly wise 23 year old <laughs> presiding over you know all these 65 year olds who are just like still trying to remember what yoga <laughs> they're is. still skateboarding everyone <laughs> they are and he's like guys it's so cool. get a bike <laughs> get a car uh, get a Anything. what now <laughs> what are you talking about <laughs> yeah just entranced tell you what you would spend we, we already talked about um what would happen if you could plan out your um your emotions so you had like surprise week and whatnot that's this is a similar scenario because the first few weeks of your new life you are going to be pretty consistently surprised by everything yeah true it takes a while for things to become ingrained habit as well like you how good at yoga or can you you know at anything can you realistically become in six months i guess yeah with people who who have long projects they'd have to factor in that they're going to work for six months and then they're going to have a massive setback for about three while they just learn what the hell they were yeah, doing. Before. They're never going to work for six months. If they even care at the, after the next reset. That would be the, the biggest problem. And I feel like, yeah, at that point, society would really reward obsession. Um, like the kind of people who just as a kind of a baseline element of their personality cannot get away from the fact that they love dinosaurs. You know, love them so... Because even, you know, even now, there's a certain amount of resistance to being a paleontologist or whatever. The fact that you don't get paid enough. People think you're a nerd, etc. So, you know, it tends to be the hardcore dinosaur fans that go down that route. But imagine how hardcore you'd need to be to survive your own mind eroding <laughs> every six months. It needs to be really deep in there. And scientific progress would belong exclusively uh, to these insane, uh, you know, obsessive maniacs. Because... Who's going to waste time? Nobody's going to end up in a research position where it's like, yeah, yeah, it's not what I envisioned myself doing. Uh, but I guess this is like, they'd just be like, I don't care. I don't care. I've got a lot of Petri dishes in the fridge. I don't, I can't remember what cinema doesn't matter. <laughs> what was I trying to cure? Whatever. Just looking through all the Petri dishes, sniffing them. Like, oh. Yeah. It's just a little taste. Mm, I don't know. This means nothing to me. I don't think this is mayonnaise. Yeah. And education, <laughs> super difficult. I mean, you'd never get that PhD. Just well, no, because... you, you just have, I guess, the 16-year-olds would, <laughs> would teach the classes. Like, all the 15-year-olds the that last year is just teaching. What are the 15-year-olds going to know? They can still only know as much as a 15-year-old knows. But the thing is, you don't... Mm, yeah, that's true. Like, how efficient is an education system where everyone is a child realistically going to be, even if you make it a top social priority? Does it just become, like, a weird reorganisation of... of the current social sphere where childhood suddenly becomes let's say the ages of zero to five and then you hit working age from five through to um 16 and then you hit um you know your senile <laughs> retirement just, yeah period. you're in a retirement home for the rest of your life <laughs> yeah. i think economically that doesn't work they would just start putting us to death <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's true it's the only way just can, euthanasia compulsory euthanasia yeah, it might it might go that way though, a sort of a more medieval mode of life where I mean, you know, I was describing like, you know, the insanity of uh, of forcing a sixteen year old to lose their virginity just so they'd know <laughs> sort of what to do in later life. And obviously yeah. that's not insanity 
um, to a large degree in our society, but it was even less so to people back in the Middle Ages when, like, you know, you'd be having kids by age nine because that's just, you know, you're going to be dead by 20, time's ticking. So, yeah, that's what we go back to, I imagine. It doesn't sound great. No, it doesn't really, does it? Mm-mm. You're not, no. not a fan? I prefer idea. it this way. I, there's, a, <laughs> there's a charm to the idea of waking up and you're just like, wow, what is all this light and colour? <laughs> and so, where am I? Incredible. Who am I? And then you're just reading these notes and you're just like, wow, look at all this stuff I left myself. It would be, like, thrilling for a little while. And then I think just incredibly exhausting for the remaining months when the reset starts looming again on the horizon. That's what would get you, is, is the dread. Would people just become hedonistic? They'd be like, you know what, there's no point. I don't care about future me. I'm not going to leave notes. I'm not going to work. Like, it doesn't matter. I've got enough yeah, money just to spend keep all their me money. on heroin for the next three yeah. months. And that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> Screw future me is going to be his problem. Yeah, I guess like a good portion of the society would do that. Just but then I think heroin. another portion would be like future planning. Yeah. Just in case. It would be a real, like, separator of, I guess, of social classes at the end of the day, because there'd be, like, now there's a lot of state help and stuff. Like, if you're not, you know, if you're not enough of a forward planner to plan your own pension, then at least in our country, like, the state forces you into one. It's like, look, you are going to want this later. You will thank us. Um, But yeah, in this scenario where the the state is nowhere near organized enough to do that for you, yeah, society would be very much split into the people who just fail the heroin test and the people who actually want to have a life in six months. Grim. Also with films and media and any kind of art, it'll um, that will kind of grind to a halt, I think. Because people are resetting every six months. How many films and books are you going to read and see in six months? You can just find some that you like and then just, just listen and watch them on repeat because every time it's the first time. What's the point in making anything new when you've got all this old stuff? That's true, and the DVDs are already in your house. And making it, I feel like every artist... Well, first of all, like a blockbuster film takes many months, so that would be a real problem. Either you somehow manage to engineer an enterprise of sufficient size that it's able to rotate through people periodically losing their minds briefly. You know, your star <laughs> actor is going to be out of commission for two months. Like, we just... We know that. We've taken it into account. <laughs> it's all in the budgeting. It's fine. Or... Uh, you never manage anything on that scale and every creator is... Because tr- you, you'll get the people who wake up and just like, oh, I like drawing and, you know, they draw. But they'll always be trapped in that, like, the toddler stage of drawing where they're just like, look, fishy, you know? And they're just <laughs> thrilled. Like, that's our new top-tier art now because they never get past it. <laughs> unless unless skills develop over time, like over all these miniature lifetimes. Oh, that'd be cool. And so you wake up and you're like, I don't even know what fish are. But, but like then, you draw the hell out of them. Yeah, like you see one and then you're like, huh, and then you sit down to draw it and it's like photorealistic, perfect, you know, oil paintings. You're like, wow. Yeah, that would be pretty cool. It would be. Rediscovering But then, but then like, it'd be less cool if you're like, you sit down and it's like, I wonder what amazing skills I have. And you read through and you, you're like, I can use an Excel spreadsheet flawlessly. Yay. Look at me go. Wow, I don't even know what this is. To be fair, imagine... I mean, that would actually, like, earn you money because skills suddenly... Like, we already live in a skill economy, right? More than just a kind of, do you have arms and can you do labour economy? Um, But it's so much more so when suddenly learning anything is incredibly difficult. And it kind of comes down to what your senile parents uh, thought to sort of force teach you when you were 10. I imagine it would be, you know, like Chinese circus style 
where like they get them started when they're three and by 12 they're incredible that's what you want. You pick the skills that are going to help your child get through this harrowing existence. Yeah. And you go I just, for it. Did you ever watch the show My Parents Are Aliens? Oh, briefly. I know the yeah. concept. I mean, it's right it's there just, in the title. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a pretty obvious concept, but they were just idiots and they knew nothing about human culture. So I'm imagining that kind of scenario. Hang where on, the what, kids are, what brought them to Earth? Um, I think their spaceship crashed or something. They didn't do their research anyway, they just... Yeah, and then they adopted some kids for some reason. I'm As you sure. do. And the system let them, because why not? Okay, so sorry. <laughs> Carry on. And yeah, then they just go round like they think that uh, ham is made out of hamsters and all this kind of thing. They just know nothing. But the kids are the ones which like teach them everything. So you'll, yeah, yeah no, you'll get a weird social inversion. Yeah, you really would. And I feel like the issue you'd run into is um, kids, particularly of a certain age, have a kind of... Kids of a certain age, like a, a young, uh, the younger end of the spectrum, sort of don't understand uh, <laughs> the level of pranking that is appropriate. <laughs> you know? Like, yeah. thinking about my own experience, I can, rem- I, I can remember vividly um, the first time I realised I'd taken a game of hide-and-seek too far. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if this is a universal experience. Do, do, you, do you have something like that in your memory? Um, I remember hiding in a cupboard for about an hour. Okay, well, I was out in a park with my younger sister, who was like oh dear. five. <laughs> yeah, oh. and we were hiding in the bushes, and my mum was frantic. Oh. It was, yeah, super sad, actually, to look back on. But the thing is, at the time, it wasn't part of my rule set. Like, my understanding of the world did not include the common sense sort of baseline rule that letting your parents know you're safe is kind of more important than winning a game of hide and seek. Mm, I hadn't yeah. yet learned this. So the rules of the game were simple. You hide until you're found. Mm. We hadn't instituted a sort of safe word, oh, which, no. you know, in hindsight was a mistake. So we hid <laughs> in the bushes for a long time. until. And the problem is, you hide until it becomes apparent that now your parent is distressed. Yeah. And now you don't want to emerge because you'll be in you're trouble. Scared, yeah. yeah, so there's no win scenario. And so there's an age at which that sort of thing manifests strongly and you do not want your kid in charge during that age. And no, then I... later, you yeah. run into adolescent rage when they're just angry at you and they want to mess with you. <laughs> I'm just imagining um, like the six-year-old and their, their dad's memories just reset. And he's like... Um... Yeah, well, your last reset, let me eat peanut butter straight from the jar. And you're like, no, well, this reset, <laughs> you're not allowed to eat peanut butter straight from the jar. So put that back. And it's like, oh, your third reset was more fun. <laughs> it's like, you it's take that true. back. It's true. Yeah, you'd be constantly like, you're not my real dad. My real dad was dad number 17. <laughs> he was the best. Yeah. Uh, there's probably too many dads, I don't know, ages, but yeah. <laughs> that would be a real problem, I think. Just the psychological toll taken by the fact that everyone we know and love, including ourselves, uh, just becomes a whole new person every six months. I mean, yeah, it, well, is... it would literally be you'd have thirty-two Horrible. versions while you were growing up. Yeah, every six months. Yeah, and unless I you guess... have kids really young. Well, as we said, I think most things would be pushed back earlier. Um, but I don't know. Would you have time? Like the idea, I think society just in order to maintain its functionality, sort of economically. Um, you'd, you'd want people to be of like maximal working efficiency because that's that's a consideration when you're setting up any kind of society, right? Is like how many working years of productivity do you get out of the average individual so that you can use the taxes from that to fund their schooling and yeah, their yeah. retirement, right? And those 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 sliders determine how everything works. It becomes a problem when <laughs> the entire working period of your life you're just a mess. I'm also imagining. Um, things like jury duty 
just become impossible <laughs> for like drawing out cases. He's like, we lost another juror today because they forgot the entire case. It would just be every day. Uh, what what do juries do? They confer or whatever. Yeah, I guess they make lots of notes, so they just have to base it off that. But that doesn't really capture it. I think I, it would just complicate the system of choosing jurors. Uh, you would need to figure it out so that their resets are staggered maximally. Um, and that way they can just, all the remaining jurors will fill in the new one. You, you've got to engineer it for like maximum retention of memory. Yeah. Although, or you could just have it where they all start at the same, they were all born on the same day. So you've got six months, clock's ticking, let's go. That's actually a good shout. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a good incentive to, and suddenly like there's a whole new legal escape route. Just wait out the jury. Yeah, because you can, you know, there's a there's a thing where in some countries I gather it's a problem where if you go to trial after a certain point, or like the legal system is sufficiently inefficient that trials will only take place X amount of time after the crime. At which point, a lot of the evidence is actually considered inadmissible because there's like a time window within which it has to be used. Right. Um, and what what happens that's to terrible. if you were like a? It's kind of dark. If you were like a really clever criminal, you could time witness testimony to make sure that by the time your trial came up witnesses had forgotten oh yeah and i mean this goes as dark as you please because people become extremely vulnerable uh when they're you know when they have dementia essentially and suddenly that's everyone society-wide doesn't matter how hale and hearty and strong everyone is a potential victim of anything at all because you show up at their door pretending to be someone official with a clipboard and they're like well i've learned what suits are and what clipboards are and i associate them with importance i don't know what anything you're describing is so i will sign my name uh, uh, and that's one of the less dark scenarios yeah yeah for obvious reasons boy i don't like this one anymore no i don't like it at <laughs> all i wonder if we should just trim out this whole <laughs> grim this whole section this is ostensibly a comedy podcast let's end it on a joke there's got to be one in there somewhere what do you call an alcoholic who wakes up after their memory resets and doesn't know why they feel so bad? Um, I, I don't know. I don't have a punchline. I just feel <laughs> that's a super grim scenario, you know? Because people would. They get addicted to all kinds of things just because of the horror of existence. Particularly if they don't have children. Suddenly childless people are without mentors. And so then you wake up and you're addicted to heroin, but you don't know why you feel so awful. Like, there's no heroin in your house. You used your last bit of a stash last night and you don't know how to inject anyway. Like, you're not going to cook this stuff. And so you're just like, this is it. This is my life. This is existence. It, it is pain. You've no idea what you need to assuage the uh, withdrawal symptoms or what rehab is or anything. <laughs> Super lighthearted. Let's finish on that note. That was the Hypotheticals podcast. Feel free to follow us on Twitter at Hypotheticals. That's Hypotheticals without the R. Follow me individually at Rain Tortoise. That's Rain like the weather phenomenon. And Tortoise like the animal. And you can follow me at Mr. Howell. That's M-R-H-O-W-L. If you've enjoyed this, please do leave us a review on iTunes. Because it really helps. And we'll see you next time. Bye!
Um, right, so should we get some energy? Oh, oh, hyping up. <laughs> yeah, I'm doing calisthenics. You can't see them, but I am. I'll, uh, I'll do some star jumps, but in a chair. So I'm just basically <laughs> just moving my arms. Yeah, yeah, I'm just pumping my in arms a, also. In That's a star good. shape. <laughs> I feel good about this. Feel strong. Yeah. Um... So, Adriano. Oh, so blah, 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 blah. sorry. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. That wasn't just to mess with you. Uh, I realised I was sat in a position that I couldn't maintain without making. Were you just like so, doing? Sorry. Were I... you in the middle of a press up, but just with one arm, like? Oh wait, I can't do this for the, <laughs> the next. Half an I hour. can hold, keep this up for twenty minutes, but maybe we'll go longer. Yes, that's exactly right, what yeah, happened. Thought so. <clears throat>